0: Now you can turn to Acts chapter 8. We are going to be introduced to the Ethiopian eunuch today. We will also be talking with to him, about him more next week. But I wanted to say this, um, that I'm grateful for you guys. Because I'm grateful for a a body of Christ that values the word of God more than tradition. That values the word of God more than personal opinion. And the values of the word of God more than the whims of culture. I'm grateful for the patience that you show to your pastors and specifically for sticking with me the last couple weeks on what was kind of a challenging topic. Sometimes I think that when we start to study scripture deeper, we go into it with lots of questions. And when we get into that deep study, sometimes we come out of it with even more questions. Maybe that was the case for us as we've talked a little bit about the giving of the Holy Spirit, but I hope that we've come over these last few weeks to recognize and appreciate the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. I hope that we see what God's Spirit in his people do, does. It does something in us. Jesus promised that all who believe in his name would receive salvation, forgiveness of sins, and the gift and power of the holy spirit one of the last comments that i made last week that kind of sets the tone for today is is this it's the first blank in your notes again this week and it's it's just something simple that the spirit leads us to places and people that we might not expect we see that with philip and the man that we're going to talk about this morning but I, i want us to see that that's true for us too When we're listening and walking by the Spirit, He leads us to some places and He leads us to some people that we wouldn't normally go to. We see a wave of evangelism coming from Jerusalem out as a result of the stoning of Stephen. We see persecution increase and now Christians are moving outward in that, those circles that Jesus identified in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And we saw Stephen go to Samaria in chapter 8. Uh, this is a remember this is a people group that the Jews despised and many of the Gentiles just didn't have time for. They didn't want. They were half-breeds, so to speak, and everybody it seemed looked down on them. And Philip goes to them, one of the first, and he preaches salvation in Jesus Christ. And this is important in the book of Acts in redemptive history, but it's important for you and me too. Jesus breaks down the walls between us, doesn't he? And that's what we see going on here. And really for the next several chapters in the book of Acts, we're going to see how the story and the ministry and the life and resurrection and intercession of Jesus just breaks down the barriers between us. And we see it with Philip and Samaria, and soon we'll see with Paul and the Gentiles. And it's It's honestly a beautiful thing to go slowly through like we're doing and to see week by week, this was God's plan for redemptive history. Jesus breaks down these walls. Now, I bet that if you told Philip a month before he was preaching in Samaria, probably just a month, if you told him a month before that he was going to willingly be preaching to the Samaritan people and to an Ethiopian man, that he might have laughed at you, maybe even scoffed about it, like, right, sure, whatever you say. I bet that there have been times in our lives, your life, where you can look back and maybe say the same kind of thing, where you probably, you wouldn't have chosen to go through what you did or maybe what you're going through now. You would not choose this. But when you reflect on it, Maybe you can see the Lord's leading through it. And I think of Psalm 77, verse 19. It's there in your notes. It says, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. It's a good reminder that even though the way is hard, like through the sea, the great waters, and even though the the footprints of God might not be visible to us, we know that he walks with us. He's not forgotten us. Praise God, in fact, that he doesn't let our lives play out exactly as we planned them. Think about that. And as we get older, I think we kind of understand, appreciate, and praise God for this even more. But think about if your life had played out exactly how you had it planned at 17, 18, 19, 20. You'd be in a very different place today, wouldn't you? And for most of us, it probably wouldn't be a better place. I think the Lord does this, and I'm glad that He does this, because if life played out in the way that we had planned for us, I think there's a good chance that we might grow apathetic, uninterested, and maybe even lazy to God's ways. Instead, the Spirit blows where He wills and leads us to engage with people in situations that we might not go to if it were just up to us. And so as we think about Acts chapter 8, verse 26, and we get ready to read these verses. Remember, Luke's cornerstone of Acts is this, the witness and glory of Jesus. Now, we know Jesus is the cornerstone, but for the book of Acts, the the thing that Luke is trying to communicate is that the witness and glory of Jesus are paramount. The true testimony of Jesus is paramount in Acts, and in the rest of the New Testament apostolic letters. It's why every sermon that you see preached in the book of Acts focuses on Jesus Christ. It's why we see the Spirit do unique and incredible things as people believe the gospel and their lives are changed. It's why Peter and John and James and Paul stress holding tight to right doctrine and proper understanding of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. These things are important to continue preaching to the next generation. Look back at chapter 8, verse 25. Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So as they go back home, they go and they preach to the villages of Samaria along the way. But God's not done with Philip yet. And so we're going to read verses 26 through 30, and then we'll pray and ask God's blessing on our time and continue on. Acts 6, 8, 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, Queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? Go ahead and read verse 31 as well. And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Let's pray. Lord, kind of like this Ethiopian man, we need someone to guide us to understand your word. But we know that you've given your spirit to us to do that. So, teach us this morning. Open hearts, open eyes. Help us to see and understand what you want us to know. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we're going to play a game for a second, true or false quiz game to see how well you were paying attention. Close your Bibles. It's probably the only time I'll ever tell you to close your Bible. This is just for fun, but we're going to play a game, true or false. The angel of the Lord appeared to Philip. True. Technically, it's false because the text just says that he spoke to Philip. Okay, I'm getting all technical on you. True or false? The angel told Philip to go find an Ethiopian man. Very good. He didn't tell him who he was going to go find. He just said go south towards Gaza, which is a desert. Okay, true or false? The area Philip was told to go to was a desert. I just gave that away, didn't I? It's true. (laughs) Luke identifies it that way. He says it's a desert place. True or false, Philip was scared to speak to this stranger. False. What does uh, verse 30 say? Oh, you don't have your Bibles open. I'll tell you what it says. It says he ran to him. It does not seem like he was afraid at all. Okay, last one, true or false, the angel told Philip everything that would happen beforehand. That one's obviously false. He did not tell him that. Philip followed one step at a time, didn't he? All right, open your Bibles back up. I want you to have them open as we study. Uh, it's good to know, I read this in several places this week, that for for the, the Greeks and the Romans, Ethiopia at the time would have been considered the ends of the earth. Like that was as far as normal civilization had reached. And so a man from Ethiopia running into A man from Jerusalem really would have been highly unlikely at the time. But this is precisely where Jesus instructed his disciples to go in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, right? He said to the ends of the earth. That's where they were supposed to go. Now I don't want us to forget in all of this who Philip is. Alright, there's a little bit more about Philip after this story in the book of Acts that we'll get to. But what what do we know about Philip so far? We know he's not one of the major apostles necessarily. Where do we first get introduced to him? Well, chapter 6. He was selected as one of those seven servants for serving in the church. He was a deacon. He was chosen to help unite the church there to keep it from having issues, and he was there to serve the physical needs of some of the Hellenistic widows at the time. Now, we don't know much of his background before any of that, but we know that he was ready and willing to serve God, right? We know from Acts chapter 6 that he was a man full of the Spirit, okay? And he's ready and willing to serve God. It's just a reminder to me, and I want to pass that reminder on to you, that God continues to use normal everyday, humble people who walk by the Spirit's power to thereby accomplish extraordinary things. Philip was a normal, everyday guy. And here we see him talking to people that he guaranteed did not think a month earlier he would ever be talking to. I was struck too by this thought this week. If Philip had the attitude and the mindset of many Christians today... He probably never would have met this man on the road to Gaza. I think too often if, if the leading of the spirit doesn't work into our already laid plans, we just don't really want to be bothered to do anything different. We've got games to watch. We've got meetings to attend. We've got practices to get to, hobbies to make time for, and lots of times the spiritual aspect of our lives just gets pushed to the end of our list and then we have no time for going with the spirit at all. Now don't get me wrong as we walk by the spirit he will lead us to conversations and encounters with everyday people in the normal flow of everyday life for us to testify to the risen savior. There's those opportunities for sure but if we're honest I think we would say that submitting to the leading of the spirit can often be an afterthought if we even consider it at all throughout our normal day. If the one who shared Christ with you had had that attitude, your life would probably be very different today. So praise God for men and women who go where the Spirit leads them and maybe even prior to that who are listening for the Spirit's leading in the first place. And may we be people who go where He leads us and though God may not send us to an, or not, God may not send an angel to us to speak and tell us, "Hey, go to this specific location," like he did with Philip, the more that we 're walking in step with the spirit, the more we 're ready to listen and follow. So think about that with me. the more that we 're willing to walk in step with the spirit, the more we 're ready to listen and follow. Now Philip has just been part of a very new and exciting ministry among the Samaritans, hasn't he? Incredible stuff was happening. Remember Simon the sorcerer and that whole situation? He saw the Spirit being given... I mean, there were obvious effects of what God's Spirit was doing in Samaria. And Philip was on the ground level of that. He was kind of the point of the spear in bringing the gospel to those areas. He was boldly and faithfully preaching, and there was an outpouring of the Spirit of God. It was exciting, I imagine, for him. God was calling people to himself in that way. Lives were being changed with the gospel, and it was evident that Something new was happening. But then the next verses say, but. But now Philip's being called somewhere else. Away from where this excitement is taking place. He's being called from a fruitful harvest to a desert road. It might have been easy for him to question and say, Lord, is this really your voice calling me here? Because it seems a little bit opposite of where you might want me to go. If he had the mindset of maybe many preachers today, he might said, Lord, I think I'm doing a pretty good job here. I think I should just stick around and keep doing it. Now, maybe this is why God sent an angel to talk to him. I don't know. But it, it certainly was a seemingly strange instruction, even more so when we discover the, the phrase that's in your, in your Bible called towards the south, so the spirit, or the, the, an angel comes and tells him to go toward the south, that can actually also be translated at noon, which is sort of a weird difference, but the Greek that's used here, it's a little bit unclear, so if it were understood this way, it'd be even more unusual, wouldn't it? Because he was sent to go to a desert area at noontime. Who's traveling in the desert at high noon? Typically, nobody, if they got any kind of sense to them. But here, we've got a man who is there on the road. And Luke describes him in six ways. I've got blanks for these. You can write them down. I just thought they were interesting to think through. Six ways. The first way, he says, is if he's an Ethiopian man. So he's from Ethiopia. Second description is that he's a eunuch. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Thirdly, he's a court official. He is under the authority of the queen of the Ethiopians, Candace, who was, and he was in charge of all of her treasure. So he had a lot of responsibility here. The fourth thing is he had been to Jerusalem and he was worshiping there. Fifthly, he was returning home in his chariot. And the sixth way that he's described here is that he was reading the book of Isaiah. What what a plan God had for Philip here. Right, to bring him from Jerusalem to Samaria to a desert road to meet this man. Now, some people believe in coincidences and say, what a great coincidence. We know better, don't we? I hope we know better by now. That's not the case here. We know it because the spirit and an angel, in fact, a messenger of God, calls Philip to go here. But he, he, think about his start. He, he's selected to serve in the church. He goes and he preaches to the hated Samaritans. And now he's the first, one of the first guys to go with the gospel to the Gentiles, like this Ethiopian would have been so this guy was from Ethiopia. Likely this meant he had really dark skin. Would have been very apparent that he was different and from a different place than Philip would have been. Different ethnicity altogether. Luke describes him also as a eunuch. Sometimes this term is used in scripture to describe a man who's incapable of reproduction due to a birth defect. Or as sometimes happened outside of Christian faith. They would be made this way in order to control them or subdue them, in order to put them in charge of oftentimes a, a royal harem, so there would be no danger of anything happening. Sometimes, though, the term simply refers to a person who performs the duties of someone like that, of a court official, without having any of the physical uh, change made to their bodies at all. We're not totally sure, specifically, what's true of this man we're just told that he is an Ethiopian eunuch i think the fact that luke mentions in the next phrase his position as a court official who deals with the treasury might give us some indication we could draw some conclusions there but we know that he was in charge of the treasury this is a big deal Candace's treasury, in fact. Candace was not a proper name. The queen's name wasn't Candace likely. It's kind of like Pharaoh. That's not the, the king's name. That's just the title for that position. Candace would have been that way in Ethiopia. She was a royal and wealthy woman, had a lot of treasure for for uh, this man to, to watch over. So he was some somewhat of an important person in his own right, maybe even a little wealthy as a result of his position. And what's really remarkable here, though, is it where he had been and what he was doing in Jerusalem he'd been there and it says he was worshiping now why would a man from Ethiopia go all the way to Jerusalem to worship God this this is not a short trip okay um if you if you've got bible maps some of your bibles have those feel free to turn though turn there while we're talking and look uh it looks small like on that On that map, probably. But we're talking about from Ethiopia to Jerusalem, about 1,500 miles. One way. All right? They did not have minivans or land cruisers, okay? They had horses and chariots. We see that he's in a chariot. So I don't exactly know how far you could go in a chariot in a day, but Google tells me about 30 miles, okay? Maybe 40 if you got great weather, but think about this. If you got 1500 miles and you go 30 miles a day, if you do some quick math, that's 50 days. One way. So this man's giving up almost two months one way to go worship in Jerusalem, however long he spends there worshiping, and then we're talking about another almost two months to get home. This, this was a calculated an intentional move by this man. Jason mentioned as he was talking with the kids, God had already started doing something in this man's heart. Why else would he give up time, money, resources, possibly even um, ridicule from his own people? Why are you going all the way there to a God that we don't know? Long time he had traveled to go and to... Sounds like he was worshiping, he was performing some of the Jewish rituals there in Jerusalem. But the thing of it is that we know from the text that he had gone, he had experienced stuff in Jerusalem, and he was on his way home, and he had left disappointed. I think that if you look at the text, you can see that I think he's even a little bit frustrated. Philip says to him, do you understand what you're reading? And in verse 31, he says, how can I? Unless somebody helps me. Unless somebody guides me. So he'd gone through all of these steps. He'd gone through the motions. In fact, he'd done more than a lot of people would have in his pursuit of truth. But he still didn't understand all that he was reading in scripture and all that was going on in his life. And this just kind of hit home to me this week, this truth. It's possible to go through the motions of Christianity and not be genuinely converted. This man had done a lot of the right things, didn't he? He gave up, he sacrificed a lot of things, and yet he left unconverted. We've seen this same kind of thing probably happen with Simon the sorcerer. Wasn't genuinely converted. Maybe even Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5. It just illustrates this truth that it's possible to be a pretender, but not a partaker in things of God. Some people just lack belief, but there are some who knowingly refuse to believe. They hear the truth, and they refuse to believe. Paul warns the church of people like this. He, in fact, calls them wolves within their midst. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, he tells the church, he says, be watchful. He says, stand firm in the faith. Here, this man is genuinely searching. He's doing some very good things. He's, he's even going through steps that many other people would not take, one of them being using some of his wealth or whatever money he had to personally buy a scroll of Isaiah. Now remember what time period we're talking about. Um, we, we've got copies of Scripture collecting dust on our shelves probably at home. But understand that back then, scribes worked relentlessly, tirelessly to copy scripture letter by letter, note by note. And so the material that it was written on and the work that it took to have this sort of thing would not have been cheap. It cost this Ethiopian man something to have the word of God from Isaiah in his hands. So he invested time and he invested resources, resources in his search for the truth. Something else to, to think about too. Where did he come from? So he came from Ethiopia and he went where? Jerusalem. To Jerusalem. Right? To the temple, to the, to the city of God. He's in Jerusalem. How long? So it had taken him 50 days. He's in Jerusalem now. What else was going on in Jerusalem around that time? Pentecost, right? Right? There's Jews all over that place. The Spirit of God is being poured out. There's apostles and disciples everywhere. And I just got to thinking, if this man was there at the same time, wouldn't it have been easier, God, to just send John to walk over through Jerusalem to talk to him then? Wouldn't that have been a better plan? Wouldn't it have saved some stress, and certainly would have saved this guy some money and time. Why didn't God just have somebody walk over and talk to him then? Surely it would have been more efficient of the Lord to do that. Well, uh, our ways are not God's ways, right? His ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. And that's how Isaiah says that it's just going to be. We can't view, and so I think because of this, that we shouldn't and we can't view world missions like some efficient American business enterprise, okay? Missions work is not about cutting things down to make it the leanest thing possible to get the job done. It just doesn't work like that. And we see it right here, case in point, with Philip. We saw it similarly with Elijah in the Old Testament. God took him to talk with someone who he wouldn't have normally gone to. Another good example is a guy named William Carey. That might be a a name you're familiar with. He was a pretty famous Baptist missionary back in the late 1700s and early 1800s, and he was a missionary to India. God put that on his heart. He started several different Indian missions. He started um, a Baptist missionary society. This was a big deal for him. and He worked for eight for 19 years, he was translating scripture. He was working on grammar books. He was working on two different, or at least one different, massive multi-language dictionary. And guess what happened 19 years after he started in India? A fire broke out, and it all burned. Every bit of his work for 19 years burned and went up in smoke. And I imagine he might have been thinking, what are you doing, God? This is a really inefficient way to reach the nation of India. All of this work, gone. But instead, he recognized that God used the tragedy to spread the word about the mission in India. And in just two months' time, so 19 years, he's working, and in just two months time, after the word had gotten out, he had enough money that had been given back to the mission to redo it all. Now it still took time to do, but he had the funding in place then to go and to do that, and how many more people in India were reached as a result? It's, it's said that Carey, William Carey, recognized this tragedy was actually from God, as the as his plan and strategy. And so he approached the task with even greater zeal than before. And as a result of the word going out, he had more partners in ministry and more people praying for the Indian people there than ever before. So think about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch here. In the providence of God towards this Ethiopian man, all the wealth, all the traveling, all the opportunity, all of the effort, the reading of Scripture, and even all the disappointment that he encountered led him to a dusty desert road this day. This is divine providence. This is not a coincidence. I hope that you can see that God wasn't only preparing the Ethiopian man for this encounter, he had been preparing Philip too. Uh, we've already gone through how Philip had gotten here. Pentecost, his selection as a deacon, the death of his friend Stephen, persecution, leaving his home, preaching to the Samaritan people. God was working through all of it, through his spirit, to lead and prepare both men for that encounter on that desert road that day. Because that's what God does. I heard it put this way this week. This is from a pastor named Jack Arnold. He said, it was divine providence that these two men should meet. For an eternal transaction was about to take place. When Philip came, he was merely picking the ripe fruit which had been prepared by God. It's a good perspective to have. And think about verse 29. Look at verse 29 and 30 with me. These are kind of the the main points of this morning. Verse 29, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Now, first of all, I want to make note that Philip was listening to the Spirit. Of course, an angel visits you, and you're likely to do that. But he was listening to the Spirit. Spirit said, go over and join this chariot. And look at verse 30. So Philip ran to him. He ran to him. Now, I love that, and I am convicted by that. The Spirit didn't have to grab Philip by the ear and drag him along and say, okay, there's somebody I need you to meet. Come on, get your rear end in gear. Let's go. It was none of that, was it? He spoke the words. Philip got up and ran. And what did he discover when he obeyed, when he did the right thing, when he listened and followed the leading of the Spirit? He found out that God was already at work. God was already doing stuff. And next week we're going to look closely at the encounter between these two guys, between Philip and and the Ethiopian man, because I think there's some really valuable stuff for us as Christians and for us as a church in regard to evangelism, in regard to the sufficiency of Scripture, and also in regard to being filled with the Holy Spirit. So we're going to talk a little bit more about this situation next week, but here's what I want us to consider today as we close. If the Spirit is leading me, us, if the Spirit is leading you to a person or a place to do something, number one, do I even hear or see His leading? And number two, am I willing to run to do it? Or am I so wrapped up in my schedule and my plans and my life that I've forgotten that I actually was bought with a price and I am not my own. My life does not belong to me anymore. That's what 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20 says. You were bought with a price. Therefore, your life is not your own. I think if we understand what these early Christians were getting that the message of Jesus is of utmost importance in the world, then we're also going to understand that our lives are not primarily about us. They're about Him. Now remember, God's plan for reaching the nations involves motivating, preparing, and sending people like us, normal, everyday Christians To be witnesses for Christ wherever we go. That's God's plan. And part of that going to these places has to involve being led by the Spirit. It it just has to. So be led by the Spirit as you teach students in your classroom, teachers, or teach students in your home, home educators. Be led by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit as you assemble parts on a line or as you sit on the bleachers next to friends and family and cheer on your children in a game. Be led by the Spirit as you resist temptation and put off selfish, ungodly desires. Be led by the Spirit as you stand in line at the grocery store. Be led by the Spirit as you train and demonstrate to your children how to run to the work that the spirit is leading you to. It was true for Philip. And I think you'll find that it's true for yourself that when you follow in obedience, you'll find out that God is already at work, but maybe your life is still all about you. Maybe you've been trying to go through the motions of Christian stuff But you know deep down that you don't truly understand what it means to be saved and you haven't truly trusted Christ as your Savior. Kind of like this Ethiopian man. He'd done a lot of good things, but he didn't understand it. He was frustrated. And I think if we're real honest, if that's us, if we're in that place of just going through the motions, we're probably pretty frustrated too. I hope that I've explained this morning that Christians are supposed to run to the work that the Spirit calls them to. But if you don't know Christ, if you don't have the Spirit of God in you, the Bible would say that you're lost. But I want you to hear this and understand this. We talk about us running to the work that God calls us to. In salvation, God's the one who takes the first step towards us. He takes the first step towards you. Think about Luke 15. God is illustrated as a father whose son has run away. He's waiting for his son. And when he sees him come up over the hill, he runs to him. Romans 5, verse 8 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Still, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us and God shows his love in that way. He gave his only son so that everyone who believes would have eternal life. That's what John 3.16 says. Romans 5.10 and 11 say that even while we were enemies of God, still sinners, enemies of God, we are reconciled to him by the death of his son and we are given true life. To hear and see the Spirit's leading, you first have to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. As we said last week, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 said that when, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So that's, that's the call. Christian, if God has saved you, Listen to the Spirit's call in your life and run to the work He leads you to. If you don't have the Spirit of God in you today, now it can happen today. By trusting in Christ, believing in Him, receiving Him, and being sealed by the Holy Spirit when you do, that allows us then to listen to His call and to run where He leads. Christian, run to the work Non-Christian, run to Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you, you don't wait for us to get it all together. You don't wait for us to get it worked out. You come to us. You take the first steps. You sent your son to take our place. And so I pray that unbelieving hearts this morning might believe that that's true. and They would run to Jesus for salvation. Forgiveness of sin. For the filling of the spirit. And that Lord as, as your people here we might be revived. We might be motivated anew. To hear your voice by your spirit and to run towards the work, towards the people, towards the places that you call us to. Knowing that you are already at work in those places. Move in your people today. Move in hearts that need to know you today. We know that you do it because you're a good God and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.